I'm your host, Annie Bowles, and this is News Du Jour. Hey, you guys, and welcome back to the News Du Jour, a calmer space to consume the news. So I just wanted to let you guys know that we had a technical issue again with today's episode and it was lost. My computer is really going through it, you guys. So I'm really sorry for all the bumps in the road. But to make it up for you guys, I'm going to do a completely separate episode in the middle of the day tomorrow that is going to be all about two things. The Republican primary debate, which is tonight, and then Trump's interview that will be aired simultaneously with Tucker Carlson. Now, this is also obviously assuming that I can watch Trump's interview after the fact. I don't really know how to watch that show, so I'm kind of like figuring that out as I go, because obviously this is a really unprecedented move. It is going to be a pre-recorded interview with Tucker Carlson as well. It's not live. So it's something that they, you know, can edit and things like that. So I'm hoping that it will show up on YouTube after the fact and that I can watch it because if it comes down to watching one or the other, I am going to watch the Republican primary debates because I just think it's important to know what everybody's saying versus just one person, even though Trump is obviously very relevant in this race. Anywho, before I jump into our news for today, I wanted to let you guys know that I use Zencaster as my podcast hosting platform. And if you guys are thinking about starting a podcast, you should consider using Zencaster too. Here's a couple of reasons why. Zencaster is a super easy platform to get started with. It will distribute your show to all of the different podcast platforms out there so you can say we are available everywhere and that just helps you reach more people. You can also monetize right in the same dashboard so it is just again very integrated and very easy to use. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my code DUJOUR, that's D-U-J-O-U-R, and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all of my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. So without further ado, we will jump into the news. Today we have no mini stories and we have three longer stories. And then I'm actually going to be answering a question pretty in depth from a listener. The question was, why did it take so long for all of these indictments to come out against Trump. It seems like it's just been this sudden shitstorm and it almost feels coordinated. And I totally understand why it feels that way. But I'm going to explain why certain cases took longer than others to come out because there are reasons behind it. So we'll answer that last. But without further ado, we'll get into our regular news stories. So first, I want to start off with telling you guys about India on the moon. 
So very exciting news has broken in the field of space exploration. India, whose space program I had actually never heard of until a piece of rocket showed up on a beach in Australia, they have reportedly touched down on the south side of the moon and they're the fourth country to land on the moon ever. This is the very first time humans have ever reached this area of the moon with a spaceship. We've never been to the South Pole there. And again, this is the polar side of the moon. So this is actually the side that never sees the sun. It has these huge craters that are thought to hold ice at the bottom, and that could prove to be super useful for further space exploration. Obviously, humans need water in order to survive, but it's heavy and it's really hard to bring with them into space. If humans could land on the moon and have water there to drink, that would be a huge win, allowing us to explore for longer in outer space. India has made history this week, though, with their country erupting in celebration. India's prime minister was actually out of town for meetings in South Africa, but he did a televised speech to celebrate this milestone. Those in the Mission Control Center were definitely emotional, and it was a really beautiful moment to witness. You can watch it online. India is making headway in so many different metrics, you guys, and it is so inspiring to watch them rise to meet their peers, the U.S., China, and Russia, landing on the moon's surface, but also surpassing research done by any other country and landing in the South Polar region. Congratulations to beautiful India. Yeah, I'm like ashamed that I'd never heard of the India space program really because I've traveled to India and I studied India quite in depth in college and didn't know anything about it. So I'm really excited to hear this news and I think it's really inspiring. So for our next story, the Wagner group leader has been killed in a plane crash. Guys, this is insane. There was a plane that crashed in Russia And the Wagner Group's leader, Prigozhin, was on the plane. Initially, when the news broke, they weren't certain that he was on the plane and they were having to do a whole investigation to make sure. But right before I went to record this, they confirmed, yes, it was indeed the leader of the Wagner Group, Prigozhin, who was on the plane. To fully explain this story, though, we do have to back up. Just in case you guys weren't following the news du jour then, I want to make sure everyone understands the context of this because it is really major. Recently, there was this group of mercenaries that marched into Russia, conquering town after town with little resistance, and they made their way all the way up to Moscow. And it seemed like they planned to just go up and knock on Putin's door and make him answer to their grievances. And this was a huge embarrassment for Russia because it made them look weak and like anybody with a small army could just walk into their country and take it over. Like imagine if a group of mercenaries walked into Oklahoma and tried to take it over like would not happen, would not. That would never happen. They wouldn't be allowed to proceed. So It definitely made Russia look unprepared and their country at war and they weren't prepared. So this was definitely embarrassing to Putin. And my husband at the time was like, oh, he is this guy who did this, the leader of the Wagner group, Pergosian. He is going to get it from Putin. And I was like, 
Well, how would Putin even do anything to him? He's legit the leader of an army. He's kind of well protected. And I just felt like this guy being so insulated with a literal army around him was going to be safe. Well, y'all, I may have been wrong. It is not going to be the first time and it won't be the last time because the leader of the Wagner group is now presumed dead. And the fact that his plane crashed in Russia, well, it doesn't feel like a coincidence. I think part of how Putin may have pulled this off is that he held these private meetings with the Wagner group, you guys, and I did cover this at the time. It seemed like he was trying to like make peace with them, and I feel like the international community was kind of giggling, watching Putin kind of have to appease these mercenaries, and now it seems that maybe he was giving these men a false sense of security to lure them out of hiding so that he could strike his lead adversary, Prigozhin. Prigozhin had not only embarrassed Putin with the invasion, but he had also publicly criticized Putin's strategy in the war, and he was laughing at the fact that Putin hadn't won yet, saying that he could have done it in a matter of days and things like that. So it definitely he was someone who was publicly embarrassing Putin. Ten people were on board this airplane, three crew members and seven were passengers. Everyone on board perished in this crash. And we don't fully know why the plane crashed or any of the details, but there is supposedly an investigation going down. I don't know if Russia is conducting this investigation, in which case, like, you know, take everything they say with a grain of salt. But that's the story. This is super disheartening to hear, but at the same time, not totally unpredicted. And I think at the end of the day, if you poke the bear, the bear pokes back. So Donald Trump is set to report to the Fulton County Jail in Georgia today, but some of his co-defendants have already reported there. It has been described as a quote-unquote parade of Trump's co-defendants marching through the Fulton County Jail to surrender and have their bond set. Like the build-up to a crescendo, these other people's surrender will be nothing compared to what is come, coming today. All eyes will be back on Trump as he reports to face what he still asserts are politically motivated charges. Now, like I mentioned, I was asked to discuss why these cases took so long to basically come to fruition and why they kind of all came out at the same time. And to answer this question accurately, I actually need to go case by case because each case had its own obstacles in coming out and coming to fruition, and each went at very different paces as well. So let's just go chronologically. So the first case to come out was the Manhattan hush money case. This case was one that was actually handed down from a previous DA, maybe even two previous DAs, but definitely there was a DA before Alvin Bragg who did a lot of the legwork for this case. And the current DA who brought the charges, Alvin Bragg, he said he waited until he felt he had enough evidence to actually prove this case in in court because 
Keep in mind, this case is actually considered the weakest, and it was the one that took the longest to come to fruition. We've known about this hush money since probably, you know, at least 2016, if not earlier. So this case was actually so many years in the making. They couldn't bring it against Trump when he was in office. But as soon as he wasn't in office anymore, everyone was chomping at the bit for Alvin Bragg to bring these charges. And he said, look, we just don't have enough evidence. And actually, you know, again, his predecessor and Democrats were very frustrated with him for what they perceived as him like dragging his feet. But just before the charges were filed, a little more evidence had shaken loose from key witnesses in this case. And supposedly, this is what prompted Bragg to act. And at that time, we really didn't know if there were going to be any other indictments on the horizon. We thought this might be the only one against Trump. And again, it was a pretty weak case and it took a very long time to come to fruition. So it fell on shaky ground and it didn't feel like there was going to be this landslide of indictments. But obviously, that was wrong. The Florida documents case. So this case was the next one to come out. And this case actually moved the fastest of them all. So the Manhattan hash hash money was the one that took the longest to come to fruition. The Florida documents case actually moved the fastest. It was very quick. If you guys remember, news only broke of Trump having these documents like last year. So it took less than a year for them to turn around these charges and file them against former President Trump or right around a year. That's actually very fast moving in building a case, especially against someone so prominent in our society. You have to have it ironclad, right? And then the next case that came out was the January 6th. And the January 6th charges took a while to come out because of the January 6th committee. If you guys remember, Democrats assembled a committee to look into the events of January 6th and document for the official record what happened on that day. They spoke with countless witnesses and documented everything so that the history books and the National Archives could have all of the details of what went down. They then turned those findings over to special counsel led by Jack Smith. He looked into it and he turned the case around pretty quickly once he got it. But it just took a while to get there because the January 6th committee wanted to do their due diligence and really look into everything that happened on January 6th. And Jack Smith is also the one who brought the Florida documents charges. So he has a reputation, actually, of moving very quickly. And that's exactly what he did with both of these cases. But the committee there was the biggest holdup. In the Georgia racketeering case, Fonnie T. Willis has been building this case for a very long time, you guys. There was a lot of evidence for her to review, and it sounds like they came across waves of more evidence and more evidence as they investigated the subject, such as the video footage of Trump cronies entering the polling station and tampering with voting machines. That shit they did not even know existed until they were elbow deep in their investigation. So they were just finding more and more stuff. And remember, you guys, there are 18 indictments, 18 people involved in this. So this is I think Fonnie T. Willis was moving as fast as she could, but She had 18 people to charge, and she knows exactly what it takes to bring a successful racketeering case to court. And I'm confident that she wanted to have all her ducks in a row before bringing these 18 indictments and make sure she had all the evidence she needed to back up her case. So that just takes a long time. It's something that you can't just 
turn around and do or else it won't be successful in court. And I feel at the end of the day, if people wanted to ruin Trump's chances of winning, they would have brought these cases after he won the primary when the Republican Party was kind of stuck with him as their candidate. Right now, things are still really up in the air for Trump. So, I mean, the Republicans could go with someone else at the end of the day if they figure that this is just too heavy, too big of a burden to overcome. I honestly can't imagine the stress that Trump is under right now. Having a presidential campaign, his third one underway, that's, you know, one is exhausting, two is incredibly exhausting, and he's on his third, and four very serious court cases going on that he has to face down. Even one of these things alone would be a, a lot to deal with, let alone you know, someone who's a father and overseeing business operations. I mean, that's just a lot for a 77-year-old man to have on his plate. A lot of people are retired at his age, kicking their feet up, pinching babies. You know, they're not dealing with all of this. So I would imagine he's under a lot of stress and we're just going to have to watch and see how things play out. And I hope he will stay safe in the process. That is the news du jour. Today, I wanted to leave you guys with the quote. Curses are like young chickens. They always come home to roost. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use to listen. A rate and review or shout out on social media would mean the world to us and help us be able to keep creating the news du jour. But the best way to support all of our work is to become a patron at www.patreon.com forward slash sugar-free media. You can also follow us on social media under sugarfreemedia.co on Instagram and just sugar-free media, all one word on TikTok. Any little noises you may hear in the background are my rescue pup. He has a little separation anxiety and always records with me. We appreciate you listening and look forward to telling you about the news again next time on News Du Jour. Broadcasting from Oklahoma. Oklahoma.